is this, that he gave his life for me. We'll get just a moment, and our youngins that are brave enough to go to children's church for Miss Robin, God bless y'all. I wasn't going to say nothing, but man, y'all are brave. Amen. Thank y'all so much. Psalm 119, verse 73, we'll begin reading in just a few minutes. Psalm 119, verse 73. You know, I guess that's one thing when you known old folks so long, you can make fun of them, can't you, Rob? Amen. Good deal. Yeah, amen. That's good. Psalm 119, verse 73, as we'll begin reading in just a few moments, I want to call your attention to this next stanza of the 119th Psalm. God certainly has a word for his people here today. I believe that so much. It's just amazing how, as we've traveled through this 119th Psalm, how it's been so applicable to our life and the world that we're living in today. If you found your place physically able, stand with me for the honor and honor reverence to the reading of God's word. Scripture is also on the front of your worship guide and will be on the screen too for you to follow with us. Psalm 119, verse 73. Here's what the word of God says. Psalmist said, Your hands have made me and fashioned me. <clears throat> Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let, I pray, your merciful kindness be for my comfort according to your word to your servant. Let your tender mercies come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed, for they treated me wrongfully with falsehood, but I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, those who know your testimonies, let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes that I may not be ashamed. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I ask that you'd add your blessing to the reading of your word. And Father, I'm still amazed today to know that you would demonstrate such love to a world of people like me and would want to know me and have relationship with me the way you do, the sacrifice you made, May it never, ever leave my heart and mind. God, I pray today that through the faithful proclamation of your word, that your people will be encouraged, that those who don't know you will be drawn to faith in you today, and that we all leave here today living differently as a result of what we have heard from the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. You'll be seated. Today, I'm speaking to you on a plea for bold obedience. The psalmist has recognized throughout the writing of this particular chapter of his tendency to drift. He's no, noticed and God has made him aware that he had drifted and he desperately desired to be in right relationship with God and we literally follow his journey, if you will, on how he was brought into right relationship with God through seeking God faithfully in all things. So as we look at this plea for bold obedience today, I, I pray that this would be your prayer and mine, uh, that God would help us to continually be obedient, which the word teaches us is better than sacrifice, that he would help us to do so boldly yet humbly in the culture that we're living in. Uh, the word of God has been under attack 
all of mine and your life and beyond. But the Word of God is under greater attack today and it appears that those who stay committed to the Word of God can anticipate even greater attack toward that in the future. So with that being said today, I want to walk through the text with you and just allow truth to come from the text today to help us understand how we can be boldly and humbly obedient even in a very chaotic culture around us today. First of all, I want you to notice in verses 73 and 74, the psalmist talks to us about how the hand of God really works as a potter, the hand of the potter that shapes, molds, and makes our life. Well, the potter works through a process. The process that he works through is very intricate, very uh, calculated. A potter doesn't just haphazardly go about his business and our potter, the Lord God himself, is not just building articles and pottery. He's literally molding and shaping lives to make a difference in the world around us. He said, Lord, your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Well, the first step in that process involves discovery. When we think about discovery, we notice the psalmist said, Lord, give me understanding. Make me aware of what I need to do that I may clearly understand what your path and purpose is for my life. We talk about how the potter is so uh, illustrated for us in an Old Testament prophet's writings in Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18, we read the story of where the Bible said that Jeremiah said the word of the Lord came to me and caused me and said let's go down to the potter's house. And I want to say to you as we talk about this section, the message today, that it do most all of us, uh, no matter how long you've been walking with God today, that you would take a trip to the potter's house with me for just a little bit. Well, see, the potter, as he goes about his work, he realizes there are some steps in the process to producing beautiful pottery. The first step is the discovery process. The potter, before he ever begins a work, he has to go out and search for and discover, if you will, clay that is usable for his purpose. In that process, he leaves his pottery shop. He goes out into the field somewhere and he digs until he finds uh, just the right kind of clay. And as he finds the right kind of clay, he brings it back to his shop and Sometimes it's a little too wet. It needs to be put on the shelf and it needs to dry out a little bit till it gets usable for his purpose. When I think about these things, I think sometimes about my own journey with Jesus because the last place I expected myself at any point in my growing up years was to be a pastor. Now, I surrendered to serve the Lord in ministry as a young man, but I never saw myself being a pastor. I never thought that I could be for several reasons. One, I had plenty of inadequacies and plenty of insufficiencies and all sorts of excuses that I could make that this was not going to be my path. Now, I was fully committed to serving the Lord in a local church. I was fully committed to serving the Lord and, and assisting my pastor in the work of missions. I was fully committed to being on mission with God through the ministry but this particular office of ministry, I never saw myself there. 
See, my path and purpose, I had a real plan, and my plan was as soon as I graduated school, there was a great giant in our state that passed away when I was growing up, and his name's Bear Bryant. You've probably heard of him, right? Well, Bear Bryant passed away when I was in the sixth grade. We kind of fell on some hard times, so I just felt it was going to be my path and purpose that I was going to replace him, and I was going to be what Nick Saban is today, but I was going to be on fire for Jesus. There was going to be a big difference, but nevertheless... I just felt that was my path in life. That was what God wanted me to do. I never saw myself being a pastor and leading God's people. I saw myself riding a seven-man sled with my visor turned around backwards, blowing the whistle and screaming, dry, dry. That's, all. That's where I saw myself. That's what I thought was my plan in life. But each time I would move toward that goal, it would be as though I would always run into roadblocks. And I could tell you for hours, those roadblocks, and they really weren't roadblocks, they were just detours of God trying to get me on path with him. See, I needed God to give me understanding. And when he discovered this lump of clay, he discovered a lump of clay that needed to dry out a little bit. Amen. It needed to get usable for the master's use. See, the psalmist was saying, God, give me understanding. And as God continued to lead in my life, made it clear to me that he wanted me to serve as a pastor, I resisted that somewhat because I thought of all the reasons why I couldn't. I thought about people in the Old Testament. You know, Gideon had a lot of excuses. Elijah had a lot of excuses. People had a lot of excuses throughout time, and they still do today. But when the potter begins to discover us and begins to give us understanding, he moves to the second step. Not just discovery, but he moves to the step of development. The psalmist said this, After I get understanding, I want to learn your commandments. He wants to develop it, and that's what the potter does. As the potter takes the clay and as he it maybe leaves it for a, a time to dry out, once he sees that it's usable and it's ready, he takes it from the shelf and he puts it on the wheel. And remember this, even though the clay has made its journey from the field to the shelf to the wheel, that clay doesn't begin to take any shape, form, or fashion until it is marred in the hand of the potter. Amen? It can spin, 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 and all it is is dizzy clay. But once they get the potter gets involved, something else happens there. It's important. See, as he develops the clay, here's what happens. The Bible teaches us in Jeremiah chapter 18 that the clay on the wheel was marred in the hand of the potter. It began to take shape, form, and fashion, and it began to look like what the potter envisioned in his mind long before he ever began to touch the clay. See, God has a purpose for you today. He's wanting to develop you. He's discovered you, and he's wanting to develop you, but you will not begin to look like Jesus, walk like Jesus, and talk like Jesus until you submit to the authority of the potter and allow him to put his hands upon you and to shape you into who he wants you to be. Now I want to tell you ladies and gentlemen I believe that's very important because the psalmist said this, after I get understanding I want to learn what your word says and I want to do what your word says. So the potter he's discovered and he's developing but then he talks the word about delight because pottery, beautiful pottery, brings delight to the potter. He says this, that those who fear you will be glad when they see me. Now, we all live here in the South. <laughs> and what do we say? Hey, man, good to see you. Don't we? People tell you all that all the time. You ever wonder if they're really telling the truth? <laughs> Sometimes I do. Good to see you. We say that. But listen, it goes a step further for the child of God. I really deeply desire personally and for the testimony of this church 
that this church and the people of this church would be so influential for the gospel and the cause of Christ that when this community, whether they're believers or unbelievers, encounter people from this ministry, that they really are glad to see us. Are you with me? See, we need to live in such a way that if our life ended tomorrow, we would be missed. Are y'all with me on that? I mean, I really want to live to be missed, and I want to lead our church that if tomorrow this church was not in this community anymore, people would wonder, where, man, what are we going to do? We, we will miss the ministry and the care and the compassion and the love that came from those people. I once heard this pastor out in Texas. I was at a conference one time, and he was preaching, and he had a beautiful church right on the, right on the side of I-635, Dallas, Texas, up on the north side near Richardson, Texas. It's right on the side of I-635. Beautiful church. Takes up several blocks. And he said he met someone the other day and said, Hey, pastor, I saw your church the other day. It's beautiful. And here's how the pastor responded. Who did you meet? Are you with me? He didn't say, Oh, man, I'm glad you like our rock work and our architecture and our planters and our, and our you know, fountains and all this kind of stuff. No, he, he realized that the church was not the brick and the mortar. The church was not the studs and the church was not the concrete. He's saying, if you, met, if you saw my church, who did you meet? Because the church is the people. Amen. And I believe that with all of my heart. And it means so much to me because you and I, as people of God, should bring delight to the heart of the folks that we encounter because we are walking with God. He has infected our life and we are not our own and we belong to Him. We've been marred in the hand of the potter. And then he talks about this word. It's not just the discovery and the development or even the delight that we bring, but he talks about deployment. Ladies and gentlemen, we spend millions and billions and trillions of dollars in the United States of America for the purpose of national defense, of which I am an advocate for. Amen? I like to go to sleep at night and not worry about all that stuff. Y'all with me? We spend millions and billions and trillions of dollars to discover, develop, and deploy soldiers to protect the freedom of this country. Amen. That's good. I'm all for it. Whatever it takes. But what about when it's about the people of God doing the work of God, if you would, the family, the army of God? It's one thing for us to discover what we need to do. It's another thing for us to develop and, and, and hopefully become a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. But if we've yet to deploy... And all we're doing is hanging out down at the church, warming up the pews and keeping the barracks homely. And we've not been deployed to the field of mission where people are hurting and in need of help, hope, and healing. Then we have yet to fulfill the purpose of the potter. He did not go to the cross of Calvary. He did not bleed and die and buried in a borrowed tomb and rise again on the third day for us just to hang out. He came to discover, develop, and deploy people to the work of God that we would be faithful to do what he's called us to do. Why? Because time is running out and people need Jesus. And if we're waiting on anything, we don't need to wait another minute. We need to deploy what he's done for us. When the potter has done his perfect work, 
When the potter has completed the process of developing the pottery, he takes the pot and he puts it on display. Y'all ever been to those places? I don't know about y'all figured this out with me. I'm not somebody that's going to hunt up the next pottery show to go by look at pottery. I mean, that's just not my thing. Amy, are y'all with me? I mean, my girls, y'all don't believe me, my girls love Hobby Lobby. And I love Hobby Lobby because I like the purpose behind Hobby Lobby. I think they got a great deal there. But y'all know what I look at at Hobby Lobby? Trains, the model cars, the stuff, the little stuff where you make an airplane. I, I go look at that stuff. I don't look at the flowers. I don't look at the pottery. I don't look at all that stuff. It's not something that interests me. But they go straight to all that, and they'll get up to the couch and say, isn't this pretty? And I'm like, I guess. It's all in what you value. But the potter, when he's finished, he displays his pottery. And when he does so, it brings attention to those who are drawn to it. Now, here's something you need to know. When he displays his pottery, nobody walks into the pottery shop and says, looks at the pot and says, my, my, Mr. Pot, you sure did a good work on yourself. No, no, when they look at that pot, they quickly begin to appreciate the beauty and the splendor for which it was created. And here's the question they've got. Who made that? Is anybody with me this morning? Who made that pot? Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Here's what God is doing. God is making beautiful pottery. The hand of God is marring us and molding us and shaping us in the image of his dear son. And when the world sees the difference in us and the rest of the world, they want to say, who made that? And you know what we can say? The Lord God of heaven has shaped us and he's brought glory to himself because, listen, nobody looks at the pot because the pot doesn't bring glory to itself. The pot only brings glory to the potter. That's worth your trip to church today, amen? To know that you have been put in this world, discovered by God, developed by God, and deployed for God to bring glory to God. Wow. Y'all gonna get to Cracker Barrel a little bit, and you're gonna be swallowing your gravy and biscuit, and you gonna, that's gonna hit you. And you're gonna, golly, and you're gonna choke on your gravy and biscuit, right? Have y'all ever heard negative people say stuff like this? Gravy and biscuit's not a real meal. I heard this other day said, people who do not believe gravy and biscuit is a real meal, you need to get those people out of your life because you don't need that kind of negativity, right? <laughs> you might not believe gravy and biscuit is a real meal. They had a hard time at my grandma's house, amen? So we, we had a lot of that. And I resemble that comment, amen? But y'all get that later too. The hand of the potter. Let's move on. Verse 75, he talks about the heart of his purpose. Did you see that? What did he say? He said these words. He says, I know, O Lord, your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you've afflicted me. The heart of his purpose. Here's, here they are. Number one is discipline. He said, your judgments are right. We don't really like the word discipline. Let me tell you why. Because when we become disciplined, it means we don't live for our own purpose. When we're disciplined to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, it means we no longer live for what makes us happy. We always have to remember that Jesus did not go to the cross, nor did the, was the church founded for what makes us happy. 
He went to the cross so that we might have a relationship with the Father. And it's not about what makes us happy, but what makes us holy. Big difference. You say, well, now, preacher, holiness, that's them people down the road that jump pews and they, you know, do all this other stuff and they run around the church. That's hope. No, no, no. That's, that's not what holiness is. Holiness is not a denomination. Holiness is a Bible doctrine. The Bible says in the Old Testament, God said, be holy for I am holy. And the Bible also says, without holiness, no man shall see God. See, it's not a denomination. It's a Bible doctrine. Here's the thing about it. No, I won't be perfect. You won't be perfect. Won't any of us ever be perfect? But one thing is for sure. The righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed to every child of God. And it's been placed to our account. And we don't live based on our own righteousness. We live based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Discipline. He said, your judgments are right. Then he says this. He's talking more about devotion. He said two words, in faithfulness. Does anybody believe God's faithful here today? Oh, I do. I believe he's faithful. I really do. And I believe you do too. You're just a little shy this morning. I don't know. Maybe it's because it was 26 degrees. But, you know, I believe he's faithful. And here's what I found him to be. I was sharing this in the early service. I'm going to share with y'all too. Angie and I, we uh, learned a lot as young married and young parents. And the one thing we learned was that God will be faithful when nobody else will be. When Brooke was just a baby, we had two little girls, and, and we were living in the pastorium then. Once again, God bless anybody who can handle that. That's tough. That's, that's tough, Laura. And we were, you talk about better to get, I'll never forget, we paid our bills, and we were, we were going to pay our, write our tithe check. And we looked at our checkbook balance, and you know what we had left? 14 cents. In some way, we had to feed our babies that way. Well, conventional wisdom would say you need to keep that to yourself and you, you don't need to be faithful to the Lord and tithe because you got to have that for your baby. And Angie and I said at the breakfast table that Sunday morning, we said we've got to trust God. He's taught us to trust God. And wrote that check anyway. That 14 cents. By Tuesday, I still got my 14 cents. Okay? And um, I went to the mailbox. Right there at the old Waco post office, P.O. Box 43. <laughs> Went to the mailbox and there was some bills in there. I said, well, then I'll have to wait till Friday. And there was a bill from the insurance company. I thought, Lord God. And I opened it up and I started looking at the bill. And guess what? For the first and only time in my life, an insurance company sent me a check. Are y'all with I mean, I looked at it twice, looked at it three times morning. I'm like, this is no way. And, and I, here's what blew me away. Now, listen, this ain't some preacher tale or some over-sensational story. This really happened. And I told him first, you can ask Angie. She'll tell you the truth because she don't lie. I mean, she don't have preacher tales, you know. So I, t I looked at that, and I, I'll never forget it. And I went to the house, and I, I said, you ain't going to believe this. The check was for the exact amount of money that I'd written my tie check for that week. So y'all know what I did? <laughs> I went and bought some Similac and some Love's diapers, right? 
because they weren't the cheapest, but they weren't the most expensive. So, you know, and my babies didn't break out with them. So he got loves diapers. And I was so happy because, and here's what God taught me. Now you say, well, I tell you what, preacher, you're telling me if I'm faithful today that God's going to give me a check back by Tuesday or Friday. No, I'm not telling you that. That happened one time, one time only in my life. There have been many times I've had to write it. There wasn't no check on Tuesday. There wasn't no check on Friday. But God taught me this. You can't outgive me, you can't outlive me, and you can't live without me. Amen? He taught me that faith taught me straight up I never have forgotten that so sometimes when things get tough and things get bad and both your girls want to get married 35 days apart in the same year I mean it, it takes you back to those days and I told him I said listen your daddy is a preacher he's not a politician or a bookie I'm telling you girl but nevertheless you start remembering those little things from days gone back and you say hey he did it once he'll do it again he is devoted to us. He is faithful always. And the psalmist said this, I have learned to trust your faithfulness. And the Bible is so clear. In the book of 2 Timothy, Paul told Timothy, he said, even when we're faithless, Timothy, even when we blow it, even when we mess up, even when we miss the mark, even when we're faithless, he's still faithful. Can't deny himself. He talks about dependence there also in that verse. He said, you have afflicted me. What do you say you've afflicted me for? He said, in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. Now, we've talked a lot about affliction in Psalm 119, and pretty constant theme throughout this chapter. But he said, the reason you afflicted me was to make me more like Jesus. Wow. He said, your afflictions had a purpose in my life. Listen, the afflictions we're experiencing now and have been for almost a year now, we can look at those and say, man, this is bad, and it is. As I told you, I've got a lot of friends that are leading pastor in churches that have been tremendously affected. Our situation could change today, could change tomorrow. If one thing God has taught me in the past 10 months is, son, just trust me day by day. I will be faithful. Just trust me, and he has. But all this affliction is for the purpose to make us more like Jesus. I, I don't know about you, but I, I just thought the other night when all the chaos was going on at the Capitol and, and when they reconvened and, you know, and everybody was giving their opinion and yada, yada, yada stuff, and, you know, and I just thought, out of 535 of y'all, is there not one of you that would walk to the microphone and say, how about we stop what we're doing because it ain't working? And how about we call on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? How about we call on the one true sovereign God over all the universe? And how about we repent of our sin? How about we just trust Him? And how about we ask Him to fix this mess? <laughs> I was praying for that, and guess what? How about we ask God to intervene on our behalf because if God doesn't, we certainly don't have the answers. It's all about dependence. And then he finishes by talking about the health of his people. Look in verse 76 and following. Walk with me through this and I'm done. The health of his people. Is God concerned about our physical health? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've... For the past 15, 16 years, in our family, we've lived with 
chronic autoimmune disease. My wife, my youngest daughter, 13 years old, my youngest daughter, no longer able to compete in athletics because of it. That was the hardest day. I remember very clearly. And I know what physical sickness looks like. I've experienced it in pastoring. And and so many people are struggling with things right now that are so above and beyond anything we've ever dealt with before. It's so hard because we can't minister the way we've always done it. But God is concerned about something even greater than that. Not just your physical health, but your spiritual health. See, the psalmist realized, as I told you, he had drifted. He needed to get right. Maybe you're here today and you've drifted and you know you need to get right. I'm going to show you in these next verses how you can do that. Verse 76, he talks very clearly where he talks about comfort in Christ. He said, Lord, I pray your merciful kindness be my comfort according to your word to your servant. He needed the comfort in his crisis. Well, we need that so much. Every one of us knows somebody that's struggling really bad. We know families that are struggling really bad. We know communities and churches and things that are struggling really bad. We know many leaders who are faced with difficult decisions every day that don't always know exactly what to do. They're just taking it one day at a time, doing the best they can. We need comfort in Christ. Look at verse 77. He talks about walking in the Word. He says, Let your tender mercies come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. I don't know how much you love the Word of God, but I want you to hear me. If you've ever made a commitment to read and absorb and obey the Word of God, may this be the season in your life that you make that commitment because you need it so desperately. Desperately. Then he talks about meaningful meditation. Look at verse 78. Let the proud be ashamed for they treated me wrongfully with falsehood. Notice how he responded. He said, but I will meditate on your precepts. When we get treated wrongfully, sometimes the first thing we want to do is we want to lash out. Our culture has created a monster because people use social media and everything else like that to lash out and go on rants. Nothing spiritual about typing a 14-page rant on social media. It don't make you big, bad, and rough, tough, hard to bluff. Nothing at all. And if you're a child of God, please don't do that because that's not what God wants you to do. And even the psalmist said, when I was treated wrongfully, here's what I did. I meditated on your precepts. Listen, that needs to be part of your life regardless of what's going on. Meditating on the Word of God. And then he talked about personal purity. Let those who fear you turn to me. Let those who know your testimonies. Let my heart be blameless. Oh, listen. Let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes. This morning, I was watching Tony Evans before I came to church. He's one of my favorites. I, I, oh, boy, just he just makes sense, you know? And God's used him greatly. And he was, he's written a new book called U-Turns. It's going to be my next reading. He said, uh, he was preaching on the, Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. And he was reading through and he went through the whole text and you know it well and went to the far country and wasted his substance and arrived and living. But my favorite part of that is when he came to himself and said, I will arise and go to my father's house. Prepared that speech, you know, Lord, even the servants got it better than me. I'll just go back and ask to be a servant. But his daddy taught him a real good principle. Once you've been a son, you can't be anything but a son. Amen can't be my servant, you're my son. 
And he said that there is a danger today that we cannot overlook. And I want to share this with you. He said the, two, the danger is this. We're very familiar with what a rebellious prodigal looks like. We're very familiar with what it looks like when someone just walks away from God, walks away from the church, turns their back on everything they've ever stood for, and just goes away and wastes everything they have with riotous living. We know what that looks like. We're very familiar. But he said, here's the danger. As dangerous as a rebellious prodigal can be, here's maybe an even greater danger. That some of us could become religious prodigals. Where we continue to attend church or we continue to be involved in some sort of ministry we continue to visibly on the outside look like we've got it all together but inwardly we are totally disconnected from the purpose and the will and the work of God in our life to where we've just become mechanical in our approach to, to our relationship with the Lord and it's more religion than it is relationship and that's a dangerous place to be totally disconnected you can come and hear the preacher you can come hear the songs and you can be totally disconnected thinking about everything else you've got to do here in a little bit instead of saying oh God speak to me and help me be different this week because of what God's word is saying into my soul I believe that's a great danger and I believe there's a whole lot of that going on and I believe the longer we go through things like we're going through now, the easier it will be for you to become a religious prodigal. Hear me. That is not the will of God for your life. He didn't go to Calvary for that. And if you see yourself as the psalmist did, beginning to just kind of go through the motions, if you see yourself beginning to drift into a mechanical experience instead of a time where you really seek the face of God, then there's something you need to do today. You need to get real with it. You need to confess it to the Lord. You need to repent. And then you need to take that U-turn. Change directions and start walking the way he meant for you to walk. He said, we're to walk in personal purity. He said, let my heart be blameless. Y'all remember that old hymn? Is thy heart right with God? Washed in the crimson flood. Cleansed and made holy. Humble and lowly. Right in the sight of God. You know, I believe that's a question we all need to answer is my heart right with God because when it is we can live obediently boldly yet humbly but when our heart is not right here's what happens the callous form we quit listening to God we quit reading his word we quit allowing the purpose and the people of God and the word of God influence our life and we are left to ourselves. It's a dangerous place to be. But today, the psalmist shows us how you don't have to live that way. Come home to Jesus and begin to be different because of his presence and influence in your life. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you so much for the word today that you have spoken into my life. 
I thank you for the opportunity you've given me, Father, as a wretched man that I am, God, that you would give me an opportunity to stand before your people and handle your people and handle your word. God, I am forever eternally grateful for that privilege. Now, Lord, my prayer is that your people will respond appropriately. God, that if there's any man, woman, young boy, young girl in this place that belong to you that are drifting toward a life of religious, prodigal living, God, I pray today that the sweet spirit of God would make them aware and God, that they would hear, they would listen, obey, and they would get right with you today. God, I pray your will will be done. And I pray that the name of Jesus will be glorified through all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, I want you to look this way just a minute. I've got a couple of things I want to share with you. First of all, the perforated section of your worship guide, please use that for several purposes. One, prayer requests. They go straight to the war room wall. When you turn them in the bucket, we take and put them on the war room wall. Uh, praise reports or if you've got an answered prayer that's what we really like uh, to, to celebrate with you we love joining you in prayer but we love celebrating share those with us and they'll go on the answered prayer wall in the war room if you have any uh, decisions that you need to make for the Lord and you want to someone to help you with that I'm always here I don't leave but please feel free to come talk to me about it if you just want to maybe you want some information about that uh, whatever it might be about any ministry please just fill that out and drop it in the plate we'll be glad to contact you and answer anything we possibly can if I don't know the answers and I probably don't know them all but what I don't know we'll find out but nevertheless we'd love for you to use that for that purpose our offering buckets are at both doors on the way out and of course you can always continue to use the online app and the website for giving please continue to be faithful in that area because I'm telling you so much we want to do greater things have yet to come greater things are still to be done and our faithfulness and obedience in the area of stewardship is very integral in that being a reality let me share something we I got yesterday Angie read it she brought it to me she said you need to read this and I want to share this with you not for my benefit but no mean but just so you will know to pray for many of those around us uh, because like I said I've been around long enough and I know a lot of pastors, a lot of church leaders, and boy, I tell you, on the front of my prayer list every day is is those guys, because, I mean, talk about front line, this has been some kind of front line, but here's something she shared with me, she said, you need to read this, because I, I, I understand this very clearly, it says, in this time that we're living in, pastors are trying to get the church through covid and help struggling families that have lost their jobs. Pastors are trying to keep peace as their congregations are in turmoil and pay the bills because of less giving. Pastors are trying to comfort wives that have lost their husbands and husbands that are burying the love of their life. Pastors are trying to preach balance and encourage young people to stay in the church. Pastors are trying to keep addicts free and marriages together. Pastors are trying to keep people attending church when the whole world is saying stay away. Pastors are crying out to God for revival while they themselves are exhausted. 
Pastors are trying to keep perspective and not beat themselves up for the things they cannot fix. Pastors are lifting others up while they often struggle to even get out of the bed. All this and more, excuse me, all this, more, and people are screaming, Pastor, you should preach on politics. If you don't carry the overwhelming burden of a pastor, then please stop assuming what is right or wrong for the pastor to do. Pastors love the ministry because God called them to it, not because it's easy. I can identify with many of those statements, if not all, and those that may not be affecting me personally are affecting others around me. And not just for pastors, but leadership in any area, leadership in your community, leadership in your schools, that you would pray because the decisions that are having have had been made, have have had been being made, even though anyhow, you know what I'm talking about. And even the ones we're going forward are some we've never had to deal with. Nobody has exactly, we're just taking it day by day. So do lift those up around you. I am so grateful for your prayers. I'm grateful for the way you have encouraged us and helped us, and I want you to know how thankful I am. And I hope that each time I stand before you that I'm able to do the same for you, to encourage you, to help you, not only bring instruction, but with the instruction, encouragement that you can be faithful because he will always be faithful. Lift up those around you, encourage them. Every opportunity you have, encourage somebody. Truett Canty said, how do you know somebody needs encouraging? He said, if they're breathing. Amen. So encourage somebody all around you. I like that other one. It's on the wall at Chick-fil-A. Food is essential to life. Make it good. So anyhow, uh, that's, a, <laughs> that's another good one. But do encourage people. Find something to smile about. Find something to help somebody. Encourage people, but pray like you've never prayed before. Pray, and, and I'm going to tell you, it has nothing to do. I'm not a party politician or none of that kind of stuff. I am a gospel preacher under a command from heaven to tell the world that Jesus saves. But regardless of what goes on in government or who gets elected, we need to pray like we ain't never prayed before. Why? Because souls are in the balance. That's what matters to me. And where people stand with God is what matters to me. I want you to know before we dismiss today that you know God loves you. You know I love you. And there's not a thing you can do to stop me. Amen. God bless you. Let's stand together. Marty's going to sing us out. Look forward to seeing you on Wednesday at 6. Don't forget the schedule change for next Sunday, one Sunday only, online at 10 a.m. And then, Lord willing, we'll be back in here on the 24th for in-person worship. Let's sing, Marty. When you're in, live God.